allergy season. Duck season! Hi everyone, Tim Kittrow, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast here in downtown Milwaukee. Boom shakalaka! Then. Oh, and it's registering. I am excited. Uh, I am ex-con. Uh, so there you are. Welcome, everybody, to episode 124 of the ever-important, especially in this day and age, Pie Factory podcast. Oh, especially. Especially. Uh, once again, from uh, the uh, home of uh, not too many bright people uh, in Morris, Illinois, this is uh, Jimmy G. And from the home of... Also, not too many bright people, but for other reasons. This is Sean. So it's been a while since we decided said we we're back, and uh, it's because just September was uh, very busy for all yeah. of us. We, and, we just uh, scheduling issues. Oh, I forgot to turn on my lava lamp. Uh oh. Okay, there we that. go. So yeah, apologies for that, but uh, September was busier than normal for yeah. us. And so how have you been, uh, Sean? Um, I, I've been busy, obviously we've both been busy, which is why we didn't record anything in September, but, um, yeah, I've been, I've been busy. I've been, I've been actually pretty good. I had a, I had a good day today, especially it was a lot of fun, uh, because, well, here's the thing. My wife had a ticket to Alton Brown's show downtown. Oh, I forgot that was today. Yeah. And, and by the way, she said, uh, that his, uh, she wanted you to know that, uh, he's, if you don't mind going to Peoria, he's got another show coming up in March. Nice. But yeah, she had a good time. I went down. I didn't go to the show, but I had lunch with her downtown before the show. Mm -hmm. It was fun. We we had a nice lunch, and then we started heading to the Chicago Theater. And I Mm -hmm. said to her, okay, now you're sure it's the Chicago Theater and not just one of those things where it's presented by the Chicago Theater and taking place somewhere else? So she pulled up her ticket and said, oh, Because, yeah, it was uh, at a different theater, but thankfully it was only four blocks away, so... There was that, and she had a lot of good stuff to say about uh, that show. Um, I remember several years ago, Elton Brown actually did uh, one of his shows at the Rialto in Joliet. I think so, too. I think so, yeah. But he had a band with him, Oh, and he played guitar with it, and she said he was pretty really? decent, and his wife played bass. Mm-hmm. And I think for most of the first half, it was basically him telling stories of... Uh, why he felt he was a failure before, and oh wow! And the second half involved tasting of hot wings using various levels of hot sauce, all the way up to mm-hmm. a million Scoville units. And all I could ah. think was, man, that is so up Jim's alley. <laughs> he did. Uh, what's that? Uh, oh God, what the hell is that? There's a there's a YouTube show um, where they uh, do nothing but eat hot wings. Oh. They've yeah, had Elton, they've had Elton Brown, they've had Gordon Ramsay, Hot Ones. That's it. Hot Ones. Yeah, I've seen a couple of episodes of that. Hey, okay, that here's something. Here's something that I really want to know. Okay, I don't know about that YouTube show. I don't remember, but anytime I ever watch a hot sauce competition on TV mm-hmm. or something, the judges wash down with water. Mm-hmm. Why do they use water? I don't know. That's Probably one of the worst things you yeah. can have. Yeah, water and beer, not good. You're supposed to have milk. Uh, I thought m- beer was supposed to help. No, it actually, re- in fact, he addressed that, I think, at the, really? the show my wife went to. It's, um, apparently it reacts with the hot stuff mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't, re- it, it can make it worse than it already is. Oh, so, interesting. I did not know that. 
milk and ice cream are the record. I think under extreme circumstances, you don't have access to either of those. I think bread helps I to have a degree. Bread. What's his name? Um, Brad Jones, the cinema snob, had a had, had a sideshow sideshow where he would eat like different foods, like old boxes of Batman cereal. One time, he ate a Reggie bar from the eighties, and uh, <laughs> he uh, it was it was horrible. Uh, and um, he did uh, the one chip challenge one time, and uh, to help combat the heat, he uh, ate pop tarts. Hmm. So I imagine that might actually not be too bad. Imagine might react with the sugar and the filling and the frosting and stuff. Or not react, but I mean, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Counteract. That's it. Counteract the uh, the heat and stuff. Hold on one second. My stomach's uh, getting the rumblies all of a sudden. It's the first thing that happens when we do record in October. Podcast interrupted by diarrhea. Oh. Yeah, that's delightful. That's my favorite heart song, too, diarrhea. Ooh, diarrhea. Did you ever notice that uh, Going Mobile by The Who? You can sing the diarrhea song to that. Mm. I did not know that because I don't know that song. How can you not know Going Mobile? I don't know that one. Oh, my God. I. So I don't know you. So what have you been playing? Well, aside from, of course, the games we're discussing on this day, not much. I've been playing Mr. Do in MAME a lot and not really performing as well as I used to. The thing about MAME is when you upgrade MAME, when a new MAME comes out, your previous save states aren't compatible, Mm -hmm. which means I had to start all over with new high score table. Oh, yeah. And the previous high score table, I had a couple in the 400,000s. This mm-hmm. time, the highest I have is like 366,000. So, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Two weeks ago from the day we're recording this, I was at Underground Retrocade, and um, I played a game I'd never seen before and never heard of. Have you ever heard of Birdie King 2, which I'm guessing um, is a sequel? I have uh, heard of Birdie King, but I don't know about 2. Yeah. I don't like golf. I really don't. But I somehow had fun playing Birdie King 2. Uh, it's use a trackball. It's I, I'm guessing it's kind of a I've never played Golden Tee, but I'm guessing it is kind of a primitive, uh, much earlier incarnation of what evolved into Golden Tee just due to the control panel. And uh, the way it works is I think it starts you with three. You can play three holes. If you make par or better, it gives you more holes, etc. until you get 18, a full 18 hole course. Um, spoiler, I could never make it past the first three, nor did I ever even get a birdie in the, uh, title of the game, but it looks <laughs> pretty interesting for, uh, for a golf game. I might be giving it some more time next time I'm at the retrocade, which hopefully will be soon at the very latest. I'll be there the, uh, day before Thanksgiving, but, um, what else have I played? I'm playing us. I have not been playing any home games because really? I just, I don't know. I just haven't really given myself the time to do that. And I really, really want to get back into it. I think part of it has to do with the fact that the room where I'm sitting right now, which is our 
a third bedroom slash home office slash storage for my wife's yarn slash recording studio slash video game room is seriously just a huge freaking disaster area that I've been trying to get clean for ages. That's part of the reason. It's just so unorganized in here. I can't even get a game system out. That's not my Atari 7800. So, uh, how about you? Well, I'm doing okay. Um, job is sucking the life out of me, but hey, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's well, it's, it's called work for a reason, I guess. It's pretty much the hours why I'm not being too happy there, but uh, haven't been playing a whole heck of a lot lately because of that, because I'm just too damn tired during the morning. <laughs> it's like, I get home from work at 1 a.m., get to sleep by 2, wake up in the morning, and I nap all morning until lunch, and then it's time to go to work. And I'm like, I haven't really been living lately, but, um, I was having some trouble with my uh, CRT that I have all my stuff hooked up to. So, uh, some guy locally was selling a, um, a Sylvania flat panel TV, but it looks like an older one because this is probably one of the finest things I've ever bought for my retro stuff, uh, because it's got a couple of sets of RCA inputs, VGA input, a couple of sets of HDMI and an RF input. Huh. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't have to modify my uh, my Intellivision yet, which I haven't played that in a few months, but, uh, uh, you know. So, yeah, so um, I got my 7800, my Intellivision, and my uh, Raspberry Pi 400 hooked up to it. So, uh, And I'm really starting to think that people need to give me reasons I should not sell my Collector Vision Phoenix, because after the first week I had it, I have not touched it. I haven't touched mine in a while, but uh, I think a lot of that's because I had it on the same screen with my uh the same monitor with my computer because that is hdmi input or output and until recently this is the only thing i had with hdmi so Hmm. i'm gonna try hooking it up to this thing and uh excuse me i'm gonna try hooking it up to my new uh my new tv over here and uh, see if that helps at all here you go but uh i think a lot of the problem though is sometimes you just collect too many systems because it's like when you're a kid, you, you see all of these ads for like, yep. oh, wow, this game's coming out on this system, and you never get that system. And then later in life, it's like when you first think about it for the first time after 20 years, you see that whatever system you're interested in was cheap, and you're like, oh, I could get the game for it. And and then before you know it, you got like 90 systems uh, from all over the world, from the United States to, oh, I don't know, uh, Liberia, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, uh, oh, the... Uh, the Minuteman uh, Tinkle Pit X7 console has the game uh, Hiking with Bob on it. And it's like, well, you, you got to get that then, you know. And I think a lot of it is just to get overwhelmed. And uh, I, that's kind of what a problem I've been having lately. I'm just getting overwhelmed because it's like I've been wanting to play like a game here or a game there. But it's like it wasn't really necessary for me to get like some of the stuff that I have. I've been thinking about paring down my collection of stuff lately. But it's like, but then when you go to do that, it's like, yeah, you got to prioritize, you know? And it's like, which yeah. do, what do I want more than everything else? Well, it's like, the only thing that definitely stay is the Atari 7800, but then everything else well, yeah. is like, you know, I'm, I, I want to keep this. Oh, this has got this game, and oh, this has got this. And then, like, before you know it, you, you haven't made any progress. Yeah. So uh, one thing you can do is get flash carts and... You know, yep. and load all the stuff on there that you want. Then you got, uh, then you got some some space freed up, but you still got the main bulk of the clutter. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out a way around this. I have not figured that out because my room is a horrid disaster area. 
my wife uh, a couple of about a month or so back just packed up everything that was on my floor into two huge totes and so i got to go through them and get everything out of those mm. If if I'm like at an antique shop and I see something that I had as a kid and I have money, yeah. well, you know, it's mine again. Yeah. There's an antique shop in town that had the same erector set that I had when I was a kid. And so, mm. of course, I had to buy it, built a bridge out of it, put it away, hadn't touched it since. Yeah. So what you going to do? Yeah. And I've been acquiring clutter because, you know, since you know, my dad died four months ago and just about every time I visit my mother, she gives me more of his crap that she keeps trying to guilt on. Just take it. Get it. Um. It's been four months already. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think. I thought it was August. No, no. The he died in June. Oh, wow. and we had the funeral two weeks later, and then we buried him in August. He was cremated. It's not that his body was just okay. flying around, <laughs> but I willfully took a lot of his uh, records, his forty-five, his uh, seven-inch mm-hmm. singles, and it's weird because I'm going through them and cataloging them. He had a couple of things from Japan and Hong Kong. Oh wow! It's like wow. He's a, this like a, a Buddy Holly on coral from Japan, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, man, this this has got to be worth some money. Not that I'm really trying to get rid of most of it. Like his stuff sure. from the '80s. Yeah, we don't need that crap because <laughs> we don't need a second copy of "I Just Called to Say I Love You." Did you get his copy of Feelings? Oh my God! Let me tell you. Yeah, the last. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw my mom about a week ago, and uh, yeah, she said, "Here, just take the rest of his records, will you?" I said, like, "All right, all right," and it's in there. <laughs> There's a an ensemble class that my wife and I take a lot at the Old Town School of Folk Music. At least we did before all this COVID crap. Mm-hmm. And my instructor, our instructor, would when she demonstrate the interval called a fifth like say going from b to e she would use mm-hmm. feelings as the model as the and it would just drive the living crap out of me and she knew that too <laughs> so she takes great delight and so my wife said here's what you do you keep that copy of feelings and next time she does that to you throw it at her <laughs> so yeah kathy yeah, if you're listening way to do be it. ready just be ready for it I texted my brother and said, hey, do you want this? He said, oh, my God, do you know how much I had to listen to that? I said, yeah, I was there, too, man. <laughs> so I'm saying, I'm, I'm guessing your brother didn't want it? I, I guess not. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> <sighs> so that's pretty much everything that's been going on with me. Um, yeah. I had my 35th freaking class reunion. Wow, he reunited 35 times. Ooh. Yeah. And um, a couple of the people at uh, my class reunion told me they missed the podcast and was wondering what was going on with wow. it. So that's uh, that's interesting. That is interesting. And what's even more interesting is that you actually go to your reunions, given how you talk about how much you hated high school. <laughs> well, years ago, I'm like, I was like, there were some people I had lost touch with that I did kind of want to get back together with, but... Uh, on a bit of a serious note here, I actually had a couple of my classmates apologize to me this uh, wow. this last reunion. Nice. Uh, one of them was like, uh, apologized to me for not standing up for me back in school. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of a mixed blessing sort of thing. It's yeah. like, it's it's I like that they had not acknowledged it now, but then I'm like, well, why didn't you do anything? But you know what? I'm just going to take it for what, in the way he meant it and uh, go from there. Yeah. Yeah, last time, yeah, I went to one reunion. It was my 25th reunion. And uh, I remember thinking, yeah, now I remember why I didn't hang out with a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, on my totally way out, one of my friends pulled me aside and she said, hey, we're going to have our own little thing sometime. So just keep an eye out. Tell everybody else to keep an eye out. I said, yeah, that's what we should have done. <laughs> <laughs> ah, reunions. Uh, yes. So there we have it. Yes. Uh, so do we have any addenda errata? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I, you know what? Hold on. Let me check. I might, because I know if I think of addenda errata, I usually message you right away. So let me check and see if. Uh, of course, we do have an email and I guess there's a bit of addenda in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was um, maybe so, so much not addenda errata, but clarifications from some people. Uh, anyway, what what is this email of which you speak? Well, uh, this is from a fan of the show, Chris Plus Plus. And he talks a little bit about uh, the game we're going to be, just a little tiny bit. Maybe, eh, you know, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Yeah, just read the uh, whole thing. Yeah, so he's like, hey, you hosers, thank you for mentioning my book during the last episode, as well as the Orphan Games website. That was kind of you. Uh, kind of you what? You know, children can be kind, but German children are kinder. Uh, it doesn't really kinder. work if you say it. Yeah. Anyway, concerning Toy Pop, perhaps the trivial mystery of the marquee showing it, the title as a single word, whereas it's often syllabically, 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 there we go, bisected online might be explained thus. Hmm. When I type the name of a game, I refer to the title screen rather than the cabinet art or the packaging ephemera, as it's easy to presume that the screen itself comes closest to reflecting the intentions of the main designer programmer. Maybe others do that as well. You know what? I think that's a good point. Wait, say that I, I, I missed something there. Okay. When I type the name of a game, I refer to the title screen rather than the cabinet art or packaging ephemera, as it's easy to presume that the screen itself comes closest to reflecting the intentions okay. of the main designer programmer. Maybe others do that as well. And I think he's got a good point because the programmers are creating the actual product where the people that make the cabinets and the marquee yeah. are just the packagers. So I think that's a great point. Anyway... <clears throat> Incidentally, it's also why the name Battlezone will forever be two words in my head, at least until Ed Rotberg corrects hmm. me. Yes, I actually think about this stuff. And uh, he goes on to today's game, one of today's games. I love Puyen. The name is phonetically unpleasant, but the gameplay is addictive, and the idea of blasting balloons in order to turn gravity into a murder weapon was original at the time. In fact, I still can't think of another game quite like this. I first saw Puyen on the game show Starcade 1983 and first played it myself on the Commodore 64 a couple of years later. The horizontal orientation of the played field is the only vivid difference between the C64 conversion and the original. It was an early eye-opener for me in terms of impressive capabilities of the C64, not to mention the impressive capabilities of Datasoft, the company that adapted it. Comparably great C64 games by Datasoft are Bruce Lee and the Mr. Do conversion. Uh, thanks as always for the awesome show and stay dangerous. Chris Plus Plus. Dangerous? I think the stay dangerous deserves a bup ba da da Uh, Okay. <laughs> Yes, can't go through life without a bup a da once in a while. Wow. So, thank you, Chris. And uh, as an FYI, if you go to chrisfederico.bandcamp.com, chrisfederico.bandcamp.com, he's got a new album out. I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, it's called Songs from the House in the Sky, Volume 1. Um, this is uh, this is just a generic email. He's, uh, hi there, you're receiving this email because you and I have corresponded at some point in the recent past. Also because I think you're awesome. 
If you'd rather not get these, da 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 uh, Anyway, I finished a new album. It's called Songs from the House in the Sky, Volume 1. I live somewhere that's physically elevated, so that title seemed to be a clever, clever way of indicating the environment in which the songs were written and recorded. I see. What I write did songs there. for myself. I love the process, and according to my own taste, but it often occurs to me afterwards that it would be fun to share them with my friends just as a show-and-tell type of thing. Here's what I've been up to and all that. Link is below. Thanks, and take care. Should we uh, link that in the show notes? I think we should. Okay. So, uh... Give it a listen. Like I said, I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, I'm sure it's pretty good. Yeah, I've, I've heard a little bit of it. I just haven't really had a chance to sit down and give it a really good listen to do a critique or anything. Well, almost for the same reason I haven't been playing home video games lately. Oh, speaking of um, music, you've got a new podcast out. Did We we haven't mentioned this yet, have we? Um, I don't think so. Want to plug it? Um, I might as well, yeah. My wife and I actually started doing a Beach Boys discussion podcast. If anybody has the slightest interest in that, uh, TuneX podcast, tunex.fab4it.com. We do uh, an episode a month. Uh, something else that happened to me is I went and saw the new, um, the new James Bond Ooh, film. Ooh, do tell. And I've been watching a channel, uh, I can't remember, on YouTube, I can't remember the name of it, but he's his channel is uh, pretty much all James Bond ephemera, and uh, he did an episode about rejected James Bond themes, which I always thought was a, gr- was a, that topic has always interested me, because there's some very weird choices they've made, but eventually um, rejected for themes for James Bond films. Yeah. Like uh, Blondie was uh, going to do for Your Eyes Only, and I kind of like the song that they did. <laughs> Alice Cooper uh, submitted a song for The Man with the Golden Gun, and of all things, um, Johnny Cash for Thunderball. Hmm. Uh, but I, what, bringing this back around to the Beach Boys, I did not realize that they approached the Beach Boys to do a Bond theme. I, I don't know about that. That's what this show said. So Yeah, the thing is... I, that- I do think they left that a little questionable, though, in how they said it, but uh, for the most part, you know. Yeah, here's the deal. The title track to the Pet Sounds album, it's an instrumental. It just has kind of a twangy lead guitar through it, which mm-hmm. I had the pleasure... I had the ultimate honor to actually perform that for a paying audience about five years ago. Oh, wow. I am not a lead guitarist, but man, I sat down for weeks and played through that sucker and just forced myself to learn that. It was so awesome. Now, here's the thing. The working title of it was Run, James, Run, because uh-huh. Brian Wilson was going to submit it to the James Bond folks for a possible inclusion. Uh-huh. Now, again, it's an instrumental and uh, sure. you can kind of hear some James Bond elements under it. There's a really twangy guitar in the background that keeps going back and forth. And um, I really don't think it was necessarily supposed to be a Bond theme so much as it would have been, say, incidental music for the mm-hmm. background. And I have reason to believe that he never actually submitted it. He might not have. But um, to be fair, one movie did have an instrumental Bond theme. And would you like to take a guess as to which one? It's not Live and Let Die. No. It's not A View to a Kill, because that was Duran Duran. It's not For Your Eyes Only, because that was Sheena Easton. It was definitely not Goldfinger, because that was the great Shirley Bassey. Goldfinger. And uh, it's not Dr. No, because that was Three Blind Mice. Mm -hmm. Casino Royale, that had an instrumental theme. The original Casino Royale, the only one I care about. Well, most people don't consider that one canon. But of the canonical ones, it was... And it wasn't the spy who loved me because that was nobody does it better. Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, technically, they had two themes in that one: the opener, which was instrumental, and then the closer, which was "We Have All the Time in the World" by Louis Armstrong. Hmm. And um, 
you know what? That's such a great song. Yeah. The most underrated Bond film, by the way. Hmm. So, oh God, I'm trying to think. Remember the name of this channel? It's uh, something Dyson. Oh gosh, I got to find out now. Okay, now wait. That that email from uh, Chris Incremental. Um, how was that an addenda or errata? Oh, okay. Well, it's maybe the clarification about the toy pop marquee. Yeah, it's the toy okay. pop. Okay. Right. Oh, Kelvin Dyson. That's the uh, YouTube channel. He's all about ah. James Bond. And every now and then when he's reviewing a movie, he'll break into like a little skit. Like I watched the, his review of the movie uh, For Your Eyes Only. At the very beginning, they uh, they kill off Blofeld for good in, this, yeah. in that continuity by dropping him down a, a, a smokestack. And uh, he's begging for his life, and he <laughs> he pleads with Jane Bond, please let me go, I'll buy you a delicatessen. <laughs> <laughs> and he does a whole sketch of what would it would be like if James Bond owned a delicatessen. delicatessen. <laughs> it was freaking hilarious. There was a, uh, on WGN Morning News, right before uh, No Time to Die came out, they did a mm-hmm. segment on the most hilarious Bond villain deaths, and that was one of them. Oh, God, that's, yeah. I think the funniest one is... Um, Oh, I can't remember the character's name, but the actor is Yafet Koto in uh, Live and Let Die. First of all, Yafet Koto is uh, one of the best actors I think we've had in the last 30 years. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. And um, in the movie, uh, basically, James Bond made him swallow a CO2 canister, set the canister off, and he just exploded. <laughs> I love Yafet Koto. He's a great actor. But he was in, I've seen three of his movies, Live and Let Die, Alien, and uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. He was the only thing good about that last film. See, the thing is, when I was a little kid, I remember one night my dad said to me, hey, your mom and I are going to watch a James Bond movie tonight, and I want you to watch it with us. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, I was a little kid, I didn't really pay attention. And to this day, I can't, I've seen several Bond movies, I cannot tell you what happened in any of them. I don't know what the plots were, even though I saw For Your Eyes only about 80 billion times. I mm-hmm. really want to sit down and really pay close attention sometime. They recycle plots, obviously, because the series has gone on. Like, Moonraker is a remake of The Spy Who Loved Me, for the most part. Huh. A View to a Kill is basically a remake of Goldfinger. And um, I don't don't say it's a remake so much, but uh, there's a lot of parallels between the new one and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, plot-wise. Did you like so. the new one? It's in the lower half of uh, my of the Daniel Craig Bond films. Uh-huh. I think Daniel Craig was a great Bond, but he was only in one great Bond film, and that was Skyfall. I don't know. He's no George Lazenby. You know what? George Lazenby, I wish he would have done a few more films, because <laughs> I think he would have really grown into the role. He had everything he needed. He just needed a little more time to get comfortable with it. I loved Telly Savalas in that movie. That was a great one. But... Um, might as well do this now. My ranking of the Daniel Craig ones from lowest to lowest to uh, highest. Uh, Quantum of Solace. Now, I did like them all. Quantum of Solace, but the problem with that one is they were writing the script as they were filming because I think of a writer's strike. Let me see. What was the next one? Uh, Spectre. Uh, no Time to Die. Yeah, that's smack in the middle. Casino Royale and then Skyfall. So that's my rankings of the uh, Daniel Craig James Bond films. Uh-huh. I think I only own two of them. Sure, but anyway, sure, right? hey, um, anyway, since yeah, we're not a James Bond podcast, there's plenty of those. No, yeah, I'm sure there are. But uh, having said that, um, since we already read uh, one feedback, we could probably read another. And uh, hide, drop the thing in right here, please.
also heard over email through the contact forum at uh, piefactorypodcast.com from our friend Daniel Chavez, who says, uh, I'm glad that you guys are back. It's like hearing from an old friend again, smiley face. Oh, again, my condolences to Sean's father's, pa- Sean's father's passing. Thank you, uh, Daniel. Oh, yeah. Here's Yeah, this could also be considered an addenda or a or clarification or something. Okay. In the previous episode. I talked about my trip to California and driving down the 101. Thank you. Uh, oh, God. Which Fulton was it who clarified that uh, it's the 101 indeed? So, yeah, I was, I guessed correctly on that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. Who was it? Um, oh, God. Who runs the Into the Vertical Blank podcast? Okay. I don't know which Fulton brother runs the Into the Vertical Blank podcast Twitter account but whichever one does or if they both do and they take turns i don't know they say 101 is still the 101 to us and adds that the san onofre the plant with the boobs that that i mentioned that mm-hmm. was a nuclear power plant because we were wondering is that uh what, what were you wondering was it was, was either i thought it was a chemical plant yeah it's a uh, nuclear power and he okay. says those were powerful boobies oh yeah yeah <laughs> but um Anyway, getting back to Daniel, he says, uh, uh, those boobs sticking out of the ground are decommissioned nuclear power plant. We called them the atomic titties. Anyhow, very glad to hear from you two again. Take care, stay safe, and play on. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Very nice to hear from you. Um, We got a couple of things. Oh, there was something else a little bit off topic that we might want to address. I don't remember if this was email or Twitter. Uh, I checked Twitter. It might have been Facebook, actually. When uh, somebody asked us, you guys talk about pizza a lot, but what do you think about Detroit style? Oh, I remember that email. I Did I... Wait, was that an email or was that a, you said that was a tweet? It might have been a tweet, but I can't find I the tweet. It might have been deleted. And unfortunately... I think, you know what? I think it was a tweet. It was a tweet because I remember responding to it now. Yeah. Um, I can't really say I've had Detroit style pizza unless Papa John's, Domino's, and uh, Little Caesars count because they're all based out of the Detroit area. Oh, really? I, yeah, I did not know that. Um. If you have a Jets near you, that's Detroit style. And uh, there's yeah, the one thing not about De- in the area here. I'm trying to remember where it is. Yeah, there's a Jets literally like a couple of blocks away from me, and I've ordered from them a few times. Now, the thing about Detroit style, it's Detroit deep dish, but their deep dish isn't quite as deep as Chicago's. It's not like a big casserole. It's uh, kind it's of mostly a re- like bread, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, kind of, sort of. It's it's rectangular. And uh, the cheese, I think, is cr- a little crispier, and it covers the entire top. It doesn't end at the outer part of the edge. It keeps going. And um, I believe your typical Detroit style, the sauce is on top. It's kind of like a big, thick stripe of sauce that goes on top of the cheese. And uh, the pepperoni on it is a special sp- – it's supposed to be spicier, but I can't really tell the difference myself – it's a crispier, spicier pepperoni than your standard pepperoni pizza. Unless Jets counts, I have not had real, true Detroit-style pizza. I have had it from Jets a couple of times. It was pretty good. And um, some time ago, Pizza Hut introduced a Detroit-style for a limited time, and I tried some, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. I think they have it currently. Yeah, they brought it back. Oh, okay. They, they brought it back. I haven't had it since, unfortunately, because we don't have a Pizza Hut that delivers to me <laughs> uh, anymore. <laughs> but uh, last time they had it, I tried it. I was like, yeah, that is that is pretty good. It really is. So uh, Detroit style, yeah, I like it. I like it. It's not my favorite thing, but I do like it. And there are times mm-hmm. when I'll say, you know what? I'm in the mood for Detroit style. So I'm going to call up such and such a place and say, bring me a Detroit style. <laughs> but 
Yeah. So whoever you were, I apologize. I don't remember who messaged us about that or who contacted us. But yeah, those are my thoughts. And uh, let's see. We also had, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. There there are some technical issues I just want to bring up, too. Um, This is uh, somebody um, tweeted us and said, hey, are you guys having podcast feeds issues? I haven't been able to stream your content today. It was through Pocket Casts. And I checked. I actually downloaded Pocket Casts just Mm -hmm. to check on that. And yeah, the episode, the latest episode was absolutely there. Turned out it was a VPN issue. For whatever reason, uh, this person's company's VPN wouldn't allow the podcast to go through. So he switched it over to cellular and listened. (laughs) So that's one thing to check. There's another technical thing that I heard from more than one Patreon sponsor. And that's that, you know, we do post the episode early on Patreon. And uh, one of the reasons we do that, by the way, is because, hey, if we say something really, really stupid that we didn't catch, that Hyde didn't catch in editing and we didn't catch in our final listen through, hey, there's another set of ears that can hear us say something really, really stupid. And if it's stupid enough, they'll decide, hey, um, you know what? I can't give money to these people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other reason is, hey, um, we also, if one of us slips and says a bad word. Like poopy? Yeah, or Diarrhea? fire truck or or turnblad, then yeah, Fish we will fudge. put an uncensored episode on Patreon for those who like to hear us without the bleeps. So, um may I just uh inter- interject here and just say something about that? Yeah. <laughs> um not right now. <laughs> But having said all that, um, our, pay, our Patreon sponsors are either going to feel special or ripped off right yeah. now. I don't know. Which. <laughs> but a couple of people said, yeah, it's nice that you're releasing the episodes early, but that's not really helping us at all because on the regular feed, we're not getting, you know, we don't want to have to go on. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have to connect to Patreon every time we want to hear an early episode. Well, the thing is you can get a separate RSS feed that you can plug into your uh, podcast player. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. In fact, I can, I can probably talk through it right now because every Patreon sponsor has a private feed. So um, let's see. I, I'm a Patreon sponsor of a couple of different podcasts myself. So what I'm going to do is go to, um, I think it's memberships. Is it memberships? Yeah, I go to my memberships and under creator, this is no secret because it's mentioned every time I sponsor Atari Bytes, and I think you do too. I do. Um, so I'm going to click Atari Bytes, which you should you should listen to whether or not, you know, it's a good, it's, and then I, I have the Atari Bytes page up here. And if I go to my membership, there's there are three tabs. There's posts, my membership, and community. Under your benefits, there's a private RSS link, and you can copy that link and then paste And somewhere in your podcast player. There should be an option to just manually put in an RSS link. Just paste that into there, and you're good. And that way, you don't have to uh, uh, connect to Patreon if you want to listen to our early episodes or sometimes our Patreon-only episodes. So that you, you can still do that. Anyway, I'm sorry to take up so much time about that, but yeah, if you if you're a Patreon sponsor and you want the Patreon episodes without having to go to Patreon every time, that's how you can do it. Go to the podcast you want, click on my membership, and there's your private RSS link. <laughs> well, with all of that out of the way, are we uh, ready to move on? Um, are we? I think so. All right. 
Do we want Puyan or Tubin? Your call this time. I called last time. Yeah, let's do Puyan. Puyan. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes, Puyan, released in October of 1982. It's uh, by Konami, released in the U.S. by Stern, which uh, I think Stern released uh, several uh, Konami games. Uh, I know I Scramble so. is one of them. I think there's a couple of more, but I can't think of what they were off the top of my head. But uh, in Puyan, your mama pig, trying to protect your Yo baby mama pigs. Yo mama pig. Yo mama pig, trying to protect your baby pigs from wolves. Mama Pig is on an elevator on the right side of the screen, and she can move up and down and shoot arrows. Your enemies are wolves. In the first level, they descend from the top of the screen. They'll grab onto a balloon, and they will float to the bottom. Can't shoot the wolves. You have to pop the balloons, and every now and then they will block the balloon so that you can't pop the balloon. After a few levels, it'll take several hits with your arrows to pop the balloons. And this is true for all of the levels. On the second level, wolves start at the bottom of the screen, and they will ascend. I guess they uh, put helium in their blooms now. If too many of them make it to the top, they will push a boulder off of the top of the screen down directly onto Mama Pig. The wolves can throw rocks, which can be shot down every now and then, starting on the uh, screen four. They will start throwing fruits down, and you can hit those for 200 points. Now, the rocks, obviously, if they hit Mama, she loses a life. Rocks can bounce off the top and the bottom of the elevator, though, so that's uh, something to keep, uh, keep in mind. Every now and then, a haunch of meat appears at the top of the screen, which is kind of weird. I just hope it's not a pork roast, you know, just for sake of the game. Oh, dude, sorry to interrupt, but... No, you're not. That's cannibalism, obviously. I just want to say right now, the end of a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving when Snoopy and Woodstock yes. are having a little turkey dinner, that is not cannibalism. Woodstock oh. is not a turkey, okay? What is Woodstock? I have no idea, but he's not a turkey. He's a canary. Okay, so um, he probably is. I don't know. So, um, yeah, haunch of meat appears at the top of the screen. It'll travel in a downward arc, knocking any wolf off of their balloons, killing them. Every now and then, balloons will fly up by themselves, and... Uh, if a balloon flies up and it, there's no wolf attached to it, it can actually uh, reject the uh, reflect the um, the meat off of it. Haven't found out if that will kill Mama Pig if it gets over there, but uh, there you are. Now the two bonus levels. First one, Mama Pig must kill the wolves floating upwards using the haunches of meat. Obviously, the more you can knock down with one haunch of meat, the higher your score. And the second uh, bonus round, this will be uh, the, the, the second bonus round. Wolves are, th are on the left-hand side of the screen throwing fruit at Mama, and Mama must shoot as many of the fruit as possible before, you know, they stop throwing the fruit. So, uh, yeah. It goes uh, level one, level two, bonus, level three, level four, bonus, or second bonus round. So, some, you know, there you go. Every now and then, a, for some reason, the wolves can deflect your arrows, and that really pisses me off about this <laughs> game. Uh, I don't like that, but there you are. I brought this up, but uh, sometimes they bounce the meat off. Okay. Yeah. Every numbered stage has a boss wolf, though. Every, I'm sorry, every even numbered stage has a boss wolf that requires five shots to kill. If you uh, have a haunch of meat, just one hit from the haunch of meat will defeat him, though. Now, this is interesting, though. If that wolf gets to the top of the screen, the wolf remaining counter, which is at the top left uh, corner of the screen, will reset to five wolves remaining. So if you don't kill him, you got to kill five more wolves, which means another boss in addition to four other wolves. Hmm. So there you are. A little trivia. Ooh. The title is Japanese for little pigs. Interesting. It is also very rarely used as an adjective meaning extremely stupid. 
For example, intentionally puncturing your spacesuit is Puyan. <laughs> uh, the intro tune is a rendition of The Other Day I Met a Bear, which is a traditional American camp song. Music was uh, composed in 1919 by Carrie Morgan and Lee David. The in-game tune in round one is Humoresque, Op 101, number seven in G-flat major by Antonin Dvorak. Ah, Dvorak. Dvorak, well. Yeah. Uh, My piano teacher had to scold me about that once. Well, to be fair... My cousin's last name is Dvorak, and that's how they pronounce it. So that's how mm. I pronounced it. And uh, there's a bootleg of the game known as Putan. <laughs> yeah, that sounds dirty. Oh, is that going to be Patreon only? Uh, <laughs> and a Puyan unit appears in the 1983 movie Joysticks. Which I still haven't seen that damn movie. I haven't either. And I'm debating whether I should or not because, you know, Joe Don Baker. <laughs> it's one of many characters going back to James Bond. He's one of many actors who's played a bad guy in a Bond film, went on to later play a good guy. Huh. That's that's happened with a few uh, actors, but uh, so ports of this game. There were a few console ports. There was two console ports: the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, uh, which I do have, which is extremely choppy and. I, I don't like it. Hmm. Uh, and the NES version, uh, there's a lot of hidden bonuses in the NES version, but I, I was going to go through them all, but nah, nah I'm not eh. going to. And it was on a couple of computers. Uh, it was on the Apple II, the Atari 400, 800, blah, 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 8-bit line, Commodore 64, the yep. MSX, and the Radio Shack Color Computer, Ooh, which uh, that one that one gets a uh, bit of flack because they chose the background color as a hot pink, which hurts the eyes of the people that play it. There was a handheld LCD game based on this uh, this arcade game, which I did I had not no know idea. about that until I heard from you about it. Yeah, I didn't know that until today when I did all my research <laughs> anyway. And uh, it's currently available on the Nintendo Switch under Arcade Archives. I think it's like seven bucks. The Nintendo Switch has really turned out to be like for people into retro gaming, it's like the only console you really kind of need right now. That's the vibe that I get from Yeah, because... I'm just like, they have a ton of old arcade and uh, console games on there. I mean, they got, uh, obviously, Nintendo stable of console games, but uh, they also got Sega Master System and Sega Genesis games on there. So, uh, yeah, so I enjoy my Nintendo Switch. Not as much as I should, but there you go. So that's pretty much everything about the basics of the game and a little trivia in that. So um, I'm just going to start this and say... Not a terrible huge fan of this game. I don't hate it, but uh, I do, I, for whatever things that tick me off about this game, which it's really only the fact that the, the wolves can deflect your arrows, this is a really charming little game. Yeah. Uh, it, it is so incredibly cutesy. In between uh, the first and the second rounds, it'll say that the wolves have captured however many pigs, and you rescue them uh, by going into the second round and you know trying to defeat the wolves in that one. And then you get a bonus based on uh, however many pigs you've rescued. And uh, animations are cute. The, even the wolves are a little cute in this game. Hmm. They went all out in early 80s cuteness on this uh, on this title. And I enjoy the background music. It's some of the I, some of the better background music from 1982, I guess. And uh, it's, it's just a charming little game, uh, basically, is what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about it, Sean? Honestly, I... I, uh, I tried to like it. I really did, uh-huh. but I, I, I just found it to be kind of tedious. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I give them an A for concept, but playability, I don't know. I don't know. On our continue scale of one to five continues inclusive, I'd have to only give this a three, really. Okay. I'm going to give it a four. Like I said, the, the few things that tick me off at the game kind of made the, the cuteness and the charmingness, I guess, of the game kind of uh, rescued it for me. Uh, I don't know if it's one I'll go back to play often, but uh, I might fire it up for a short you know, session here or there. Kind of like my sex life. But, um, whoa, is that going to be Patreon also? Oh, boy, we <laughs> hope so. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, because if you want to hear, yeah, people want to pay to hear that. Well, there's nothing to tell. Um, <laughs> thing. So that's pretty much all you have to say about it? Just couldn't get into it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I eh, I found myself wanting to play other games when I was playing it. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And I, I don't know, it's just, mm, eh. Urf. Urf. Yeah. Uh, mm. So, well, that was so very insightful. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, um, do we have any high scores for it? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, I'm going to start with a more difficult one to interpret, by the way, because on Orcade.com, there are two different tracks for it, and when you click on the individual tracks for one of them, for settings, it says no settings available, yet it also says ADS, which is Orcade default settings. Uh-huh. And uh, for, th- for this mystery one, Robert McCauley is shown as having the high score at 574,500 on May 30th, 2012. Now, the other track is um, this one. They actually have the dip switch settings. Uh, You get three lives, a bonus life at 30,000 points, and then every 70,000 points, medium difficulty. Now, this one also has the ADS tag on it, so I don't know. And uh, Mm -hmm. judging from the names I see on here, I recognize Mm -hmm. every single one of them, except maybe Dwayne Richard, as a Galloping Ghost regular. So I don't know if this is just Galloping Ghost's own little thing, but uh, one guess as to who has the highest score in there were 409,950 on May 28th, 2016. One guess. Uh, James White? James White. Gee. And we move over to the ever-popular Twin Galaxies. Mm-hmm. Number one score there from a refereed performance on December 16th, 1983. Mark Kinter with a million six hundred nine thousand two hundred fifty points. So I wonder what's up what's up with that, that both tracks on arcade.com, the scores are like five hundred thousand and lower, but on Twin Galaxies, the top two scores are astronomically higher. So I don't know what the what the dealio is there. That's a good question. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't but, tell you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna pretend to understand how things happen in any world. Uh-huh. So yeah. Anyway, Puyan and uh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Puyan. So uh we're gonna go from Puyan to our next game then? We should, but first, uh, I believe you found us an underwriter for this episode, so we we should give them some time, should we not? Pie Factory Podcast is proudly brought to you by... The following. Hey, this Christmas party's getting a little too quiet. I think it's time we liven it up with my favorite Christmas gift, Mr. Microphone. Hey, what's that? Well, you set the dial on your FM radio and... Testing, testing, testing. Ah! 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 Ah!
These kids are having a fabulous time with Mr. Microphone, the cordless microphone that actually puts your voice on the radio. There are no attaching wires, so you're free to move around. Broadcast over any FM car radio. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. Professional entertainers use Mr. Microphone for rehearsing. I got one. 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 I got Mr. Microphone and I love it. It's practical and great fun for the whole family. And it's only $14.88. Mr. Microphone, buy two or three. They really make great Christmas gifts. Excellent Christmas present suggestion. Oh, heck yeah. Wow. I hear you could get it at Woolworth and Wolco. Oh, man, I am so going there after we're done tonight. Yes. Yeah, going to go to my local Wolco, and uh, hopefully they have it. Oh, they closed 40 years ago. Oh, hmm. well, do you think they carry it at Venture or Zare? Oh, I'm going to check Zare. There's one over in Crest Hill. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll check the Venture. Yeah. Well, actually, the Venture is right there, too, so you check that. I'm going to okay. check Weebolts in Montgomery Ward. Weebolts, yes. You know, I might hit Turnstile, uh, you know, while we're at it, just uh, just to be safe. Why would they carry that? Or are you just looking for some new disco clothes? Turnstile. <laughs> you know who used to own Turnstile, right? Jules. Jules, that's right. J-E-W-E-L, Jules. We also had another store in Juliet called Tops, hmm. which was kind of in the Zare Kmart mold. But yeah. uh, Nice. It's, uh, it was on Jefferson Street. Uh, I think there's a laundromat, possibly a gym there now. It's right next to hmm. Rack's. Oh. That's where it used to be. Oh, yet another... I was just in Joliet last week, and I didn't go to Rax. Darn. I haven't been there since the 80s. Uh, maybe, no, actually, I think I was there in the early 90s once. So you haven't had a BBC in a while? I, I don't know. I don't know if I've had a... I don't even know what I had there. <laughs> <laughs> that should be Patreon also. What, the British Broadcasting Corporation? Oh, okay. Or Beef the British Broadcorping Castration, as one announcer allegedly said. This is the Dominion Network of the Canadian Board Corping Castration. It's the CBC. Oh, okay. You didn't get a beef, bacon, and cheddar? PBC? Mm, probably not. I'm, not. I'm not into beef sandwiches. They have to be really, really good. Yeah. For me, if it's beef, it's got to be like steak or steak? burger, you know, mm -hmm. or a nice all-beef Vienna beef hot dog. But you don't, you don't do Italian beef? Nah, nah. Huh. How about a French dip? Well, I take it back. At the Weber Grill restaurant, they used to have an Italian beef sandwich with optional mm -hmm. mozzarella. It was so Ooh. good. They might still <laughs> have it. It was a lunch-only thing on weekdays. Uh -huh. They might still have it. I, oh, I was just there today. Ooh, really amazing Caesar salad with uh, salmon in it. Yeah. Nice. Oh, you said salmon. Never mind. You know, like that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't like seafood. Yeah. But, so. Well, I think this was freshwater salmon. I don't think it was sea, it was, uh, sea salmon. But anyway. At uh, any rate. So we should get on to our next game before we go totally off topic in the ah, middle of an episode. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, oh, you're talking Tubin. Tubin. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for YouTube videos covering Tubin, please put in Tubin Arcade or Tubin Game, or else you're going to get like 18 pages of Jeffrey Tubin. Which, Whoever that is. Yeah. Nah, anyway. Uh, Tubin the Game, the arcade game, was released in June of 1988 by Atari Games. And as such, it has the same coin drop sound that a butt crap ton of other Atari games around that time happened to have. Hyde, could you play that sample, please, even though it was in the beginning of the episode? Thank you. That's one of my favorite coin drop sounds, by the way. 
It gets old, though. I like different coin drop know. sounds like different so. things, you know? The thing to note about this game is it's based on the same hardware that, like, Gauntlet and yeah. Temple of Doom and Marble Madness and all of them were based on. Yeah, it is true, it is true, but the gameplay of Tubin, the reason it is called Tubin is your character is riding an inner tube down a series of rivers. There are several rivers that you will ride on, depending on how well you do. Um, here's how well I can perform on Tubin. I've seen exactly one river and not all the way through. Because when you finish a river, there's a big finish line and a, a mm -hmm. bunch of people are there to welcome you and all that stuff. Some of the rivers you have are the Yukon, the Amazon, the Nile, and each river has its own set of obstacles and enemies. And by the way, one thing I love about this game is one of the rivers is the sticks. The river sticks. Yep. You actually inner tube through hell and you have like Satan throwing things at you and things like that. <laughs> I love the hat. And uh, Tubin, even if you play a one player game, it is always a two player game. If both players are human players, then the players are Biff and Jet. Biff and Jet are the two main characters. Biff is white with blonde hair and uh, Jet is black. And they both have this typical late 80s cool guy look to them. That was uh, really, I oh, guess, what yeah. people were looking up to back then. And the cool, what I really like about the characters here is that you can actually choose which character you are depending on which set of controls you use. Biff's controls are on the left, Jet's controls are on the right. The way you choose which character you are is basically whichever start button you press, because each player has his own start button. And I might as well talk about the control panel while I'm at it. Yes. There are two sets of controls on the panel, one for each player. Biff's controls are on the left, Jet's are on the right. Each of these people has five buttons. There is a top row, and there is a middle row, and a bottom row. And uh, the top two rows are in pairs. The top pair is for paddling backwards. Uh, one for the left hand, one for the right hand. The other pair is to paddle forward. One for the left hand, one for the right hand. And if you hit both at the same time, you basically go forward in a straight line. The button on the bottom is labeled throw can. And it also doubles as a start button. Biff's buttons are red. Jet's buttons are yellow. There's a third character. If you're playing a single character game, the AI character is named Flotsam. And uh, Flotsam looks like a human character, but kind of has a robotic color scheme, if you will. Okay, I've got to ask. Since there's a character named Flotsam, is there a character named Jetsam? That's probably what Jet is short for. Ah, okay. Could be. Flotsam and Jetsam. Which, of course, means that Biff is short. That's just one F, by the way. B-I-F. I'm guessing that's short for Biffsum. That's the oh. only possible thing it could be. Okay. So, yeah. When you're riding down the river, quite simply, the main thing you want to keep in mind is to avoid pointy things. Avoid branches in the river because they could puncture your, your inner tube. Avoid logs that have little spiky things coming out of them. Avoid the big gator, which is the hurry-up mechanism that you see in this game. A lot of games have hurry-up mechanisms. There's the pterodactyl in Joust. There's that skull thing in uh, Bubble Bobble. There's the little tornado thing in 720 Degrees. <laughs> and uh, there's a way you can avoid the big gator once it comes out, and I'll talk about that in a bit. 
But avoid the pointy things, and you can pick up some other items for bonus points. Uh, for example, once in a while, you'll happen upon a can or a six-pack of cans. The can is basically your weapon, and you actually start with a supply of six. You can throw cans at various enemies and objects to get them out of your way or to perhaps stun them. And that's what you can do with the big gator if it happens to start to invade you. You can throw a couple of cans at it and stun it so it won't bother you. Uh, you can throw cans at, say, branches that you're about to happen upon, and it'll knock them out of the way. I have a terrible aim. I cannot throw cans very well. Uh, what else can you pick up? There are treasure chests you can pick up in the water. When you reach a certain score, you can pick up a patch in the water. Now, the way the life system works in this game, every time your tube gets punctured, it gets repaired immediately with a patch, and you're given three patches to start with. So, ah, so that's how that works. Okay. Yeah. So basically, once you use your third patch, the game is over. Unless you can get a bonus patch, which I believe the first one is at 100,000 points. Uh, I have never seen a patch. <laughs> I think after that, there's another one at 350,000 points, and I'm not sure if there are any um, after that, to be quite honest with you. Other things that you're going to happen upon, there are these gates that you can kind of slalom through. Uh, you'll see a maximum point value, usually 1,000 and if you swish through those gates, as it says in the uh, instructions on the control panel and in the tutorial during the attract mode, you get those maximum points and you have a score multiplier of two. So any points that you score for a certain time after successfully swishing through the gates at the maximum point level, your score is actually going to double for all those points. If you or your opponent bumps into the gate without crossing through it, then the points you can score by going through get reduced. Like, for example, if the gate is worth a thousand points, if you or your opponent bumps into it, then suddenly it's only worth 500. If it's bumped again, then maybe 300, then 200, then 150, etc. So you want to slalom through that as gracefully as possible without uh, bumping into it. There's um, another bonus item that you can pick up, and, well, actually, there are several bonus items that you can pick up, and they are the letters in the word Tubin. Okay. Now, I don't think it actually has any effect on the gameplay, but they're hidden in various objects in the game, and the purpose of that is if you were to collect all of the letters to the point that you could actually spell out the word Tubin, you could get a t-shirt, a Tubin t-shirt. However, though, that offer expired on December 1st, 1988, so it, you're a little bit too late. I'd be interested in seeing one of these. I, have to, I, I never did think to check eBay or whatever. Actually, no, my notes say December, not December. So yeah, December 1st, 1988 was the expiration. But that that's the game, really. Every time you, I believe every time you finish a river, you're bumped into a new class. You start with class one, then there's class two, etc., and, uh, yeah, I have never finished a river, never have, even though I suppose I could have, because this game does have a continue option. However, I've never actually used it. Also interesting of note is that the factory default setting of Tubin, you have to put in two credits for a single play. I noticed that, which is weird because it's not a, it doesn't appear to me to be a, a game that should be charging that much. 
Well, thing is, I think it's a sign of the times because I think around that time is when new games that came out, you had to put in a minimum of two tokens or two quarters or whatever. I seem to remember Pac-Mania was like that. I could be wrong, though. Could be wrong. Uh, mind you, the arcades I go to now are all free play, so you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't know. Um, but really, that's the game right there. And uh, yeah, one thing I should w- let you know about is one of the enemies is an eel. So you got to, you know, those water snakes in there. What do we got to do? Watch out for snakes. That's right. And mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really tubing. You go down the river on an inner tube, steer with the four buttons. And uh, yeah. And by the way, a couple of things I want to mention, especially with the attract mode. Watch the attract mode if you haven't. Watch it in full. I never had the times that I played this game in an arcade. I never watched the attract mode. I just started up. It has a really surprisingly helpful tutorial, and I really recommend watching it. Also, the high score table, assuming Mm -hmm. it's a fresh high score table, hasn't had any players enter scores into it or anything, if you read the entries in the high score table going down, it reads, Biff and Jet are way rad. Heart, heart, heart. Get wet now. Uh, phrasing. Is that another Patreon thing? I think it's another Patreon thing. Hmm. And the, uh, by the way, the minimum high score that you have to beat to get in the high score table in the first place, mm-hmm. 6,850. Hmm. So uh, there are several. Ho- now, this is the thing. I know I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but the first time I ever played or ever saw Tubin really was at Logan Hardware back when that still existed. And uh, this is going way back because this was when Logan Hardware was still at what is now Logan Arcade in uh, Chicago at Fullerton and, um, oh, what's the cross street? Fullerton and uh, I think Damon, or is it Western? I don't know. But In the original location, that's where I first saw Tubin. I had no idea the game ever existed, which is why I was surprised to learn that there are several home versions. There was a home version on the Commodore 64, Mm. which I had. I had a Commodore 64, and I never knew about it. It was on the Amiga, and I never knew about it. It was on NES. Um, I watched some video of the NES version. Man, that, I, that's not a very good-looking version. Uh, there's a version for MS-DOS, Atari ST, which of uh, the ones that I've seen, I think the Atari ST is the best-looking of all the home versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, the Game Boy Color has it, the MSX has it, the Sinclair ZX Spectrum has it, and the Amstrad CPC has it. And many of the more modern consoles have it in uh, those like midway arcade packs. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you have a console from PlayStation or later, you can play Tubin on it. You know, I just realized something. Uh, We didn't talk about where we first saw or played Puyan. Yeah, I think I first saw and played it at Galloping Ghost, actually. I want to think I saw it at a... I, I really don't know. I really don't remember, but I want to think it was a laundromat, but I can't be sure. Could be, and I think I had the Commodore 64 version when uh, I bought our friend Andrew's old Commodore 64 stuff, but I don't remember mm-hmm. for sure. I Now, as far as Tubin goes, first place I saw it was at Galaxy World in Naperville. Uh, Galaxy was that World, attached Gala to Gala Lanes. Lane's Bowling Alley? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Same I in Kankakee, there was a Gala Lane's Bowling Alley that had a Galaxy World arcade. Uh, I think there were three Gala uh, Gala Lane Galaxy Worlds in the Chicago area. 
Really? I want to think there was. One in the northwest suburbs, the one there at uh, Naperville, and the one in Kankakee. Huh. Yeah. The one in Kankakee has since been renamed. It's uh, some family bowling center. I didn't know it still exists. Yeah, the building's still there. It's still a bowling alley. Right by Bishop Mack High School. Uh, Actually, it was Gala Lanes when we moved from Kankakee about 11 years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, And we hadn't gone in there in a while, and I do remember they still had video games in there like at least two years before we uh, left there. They had like a, the only one I remember off the top of my head was a decrepit Area 51 (laughs) machine. But um, as far as that goes, but as far as tubing goes, yeah. Gala Lanes, Galaxy slash Galaxy World, but I couldn't tell you where the first place I played it was. Huh. So, um, what are your thoughts on uh, Tubin? Not a fan. I yeah, I thought you wouldn't be a fan. Why? Why are you the controls? I I tried playing it again recently for the first time in a while, and the controls are so cumbersome to my way of thinking that it just took me right out of it. I mean, it looks like it could be fun, but I just can't control the game. I mean, it looks good. Like as I said before, it's that typical Atari hardware that had uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, Gauntlet, what was uh, some of the other ones, uh, Marble Madness, that sort of thing. But, and so, I mean, graphically and sonically, it's not a bad game, but it's just, I don't know. Just the controls are cumbersome at best. Hmm. I almost wonder if this game would be better if it was uh, controlled by a trackball. Interesting. Might be a little too marble madnessy that in, yeah, in that case. Yeah. And part of me wants to think that there's no better way to do this because you've got one button for you have two buttons per hand, one to go forward, one to go backward. Mm-hmm. And how and else would you throw would button. you do it? Because you kind of need you, you need to steer, you need to go forward, you need to go backward, which makes me wonder how a lot of these home versions work. Mm-hmm. So they probably found a way to do it with just uh just a regular four-way joystick. You could always do like the, I don't know. You know, it could work with like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm getting all the way out here, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. If it controlled better, I'd probably like it better, but. Hmm. Yeah. I had a problem with the controls, but all right, here's the thing. I don't know if I, if I got a hang of it because I was using MAME mm-hmm. and with that, it's easy because you just use uh what is it? I think. A and D for forward, Q and E for backwards. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because for that you can just have, you just use like one finger per button, but it's not quite that easy in the arcade version. Mm-hmm. I mapped it to my Bluetooth controller here. I mapped the right two buttons on the button side and then up and down for the left hand and then uh, another button for the throw. And uh, it worked better than the arcade, but it still played like crap. Hmm. Crap. But for whatever reason, I, I was getting a lot more into it than I ever did when playing it in the arcade. But something that I failed to mention that I should mention, the arcade cabinet, and I think this was a theme with a lot of uh, late 80s Atari games cabinets. The The Tubin game cabinet is unique. It's a weird shape. Like It's not your typical game cabinet. The control panel is mm-hmm. wide. The actual part that has the monitor and the marquee is narrow. And uh, a 720 degrees, I believe, was like that, too, where you had just a really strange shape. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's a it's a unique arcade cabinet. It really sticks out. Mm-hmm. And uh, personally, I think that Tubin borrowed a lot of elements from Granny and the Gators. 
Because I remember when I played Granny and the Gators, hmm. I thought, this reminds me so much of Tubin. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is another reason that I th- I kind of predicted you weren't going to like Tubin. Because I don't think you're a fan of Granny and the Gators, are you? Well, to be fair, I o- I've only ever played it once. Ah, okay. Well, me so, too. <laughs> I didn't like what I played, but um, not, I didn't play it enough to make a final judgment call on it. Hmm. But uh, you mentioned that the game has good enough graphics and sound. I'm going to say, for me, the sound was okay, but it just made me think back to how we talked about before about how earlier arcade games had this booming sound and all this, and how I noticed that as video games progressed in the late 80s and early 90s, the sound was a lot I don't know. It's hard to hard to describe what happened to the overall sound. Obviously, it's much more advanced in terms of what you can do with the sound, but it's not quite as boomy and all. It's a little. It's very kind of tingly, like you know, like that kind of thing. I can't really describe it very much. And this game, Tubin, has that kind of newer sound that doesn't quite have a lot of bottom to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Having said that, uh, Jimmy G, if you were to rate Tubin on our Pie Factory podcast scale of one continue through five continues, how many continues? Dos. Zwei. I was going to guess two. that. Zwei continues. Yeah. Zwei. Zwei continuing Zimers. Gotten Zimers. I have to figure out what German for continue is. Might as well do that now. Ah. And I totally expected that. Now, having said what I said about the sound, uh, what I said about how you need two credits to play a single-player game, and that it has a continue option, which I had brought up in the past that I really frown upon that because it's basically just an attempt to get more money out of you. Mm -hmm. Having said all that, I cannot help but give Tubin five out of five continues. Wow. That surprises me. I know it surprises me too, but I think all the positives outweigh all the negatives because it's a unique game. So you gave it five get weiter. Fünf. Get weiter. See? Get weiter. That's German for continues. Fünf get weiter. Fünf get weiter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I gave it zwei. Zwei get weiter. I mean, I like the gameplay. The gameplay is unique. You're not going to find that gameplay, anything like it anywhere else. The objects are fun. The enemies are fun. The bonus items are quite fun. The slaloming is, it's fun. You see, I'm using that word fun a lot. And just really uh, the character, I like the characters because they're so silly. Because Mm -hmm. they're so, it's almost like they're poking fun of the 80s. I was going to say the 80s zeitgeist, but I hate when people keep using the word. Yeah, there are two words that, okay, anybody listening who writes magazine articles of any kind, be it print or online, please erase the word zeitgeist from your vocabulary. Oh, there's another one. Uh, 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 Juggernaut. Also erase Juggernaut from your vocabulary, please. Okay, those words are overused. A word I hate is disrupt. This $500 industry is going to disrupt a $500 billion juggernaut. <laughs> I hate disrupt. Uh, anyway. Anyway. 
Uh, so what was I saying before he disrupted me? Um, did I say uh, a courtesy so to speak English? Something um, about a zeitgeist? Zeitgeist, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, it's just so much about this game. There's so much to love about it, as far as I'm concerned. I think what really put... I was kind of teetering on four and five and i'll tell you what really pushed me over the edge was that one of the rivers you go through is the sticks it's like oh my god are you kidding me i haven't gotten that far (laughs) neither have i neither have i but i'm thinking man they pull out all the stops for this i gotta give this a five out of five i gotta did they have uh you know dennis d young singing in the background on that level do you know i was afraid you were gonna ask about that (laughs) Because you have too much time on your hands to think about that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, I am a renegade. About the high scores. Uh, uh, Twin Galaxies shows Eric Allers uh, having the high score uh, from May 30th, 2009 at 4,435,753. How? This is not a high scoring game. It's not. I mean, you know how long well, it takes unless, to get that 100,000? Good Lord. Unless you get to the end of a river, though, I, I, which is something I've not done. Well, that is very true. Very well could be. I mean, could okay, be here's what the rules points. say. Uh, medium difficulty, uh, clear high. Um, let's see. Uh, contest enabled. <laughs> I like that there's a uh, dip switch. You can enable or disable the t-shirt contest. I'm going to start using that as a uh, as an insult. What? Dip switch. Huh. This is interesting because there's nothing. Oh, yeah. It says continues are not permitted. So what's his name? Uh, Eric got that with no continues. Now, (laughs) Orcade.com, October 13th, 2019, which must have been. uh, This was at Grinker's Grand Palace. So this was this must have been like right before they closed. David Jury scored six million eight hundred thirty two thousand eight hundred and one. Six wow, that's almost seven million. Good grief! And uh, arcade all it's a u r c a d e by the way. Arcade.com also tracks it says two player co op, but I don't really think it's a co op mode, I think it's a uh, competitive, competitive. But hey, who am I to question? It looks like Chris Teeter and Fred DeHart. Uh, I, I know we've we've both met Chris Teeter at one point. Uh, I, I've I've known Chris and Fred from uh, the the arcades around here. They are mm-hmm. silly characters, I must say. They're fun people, and in their two player, well, it must be because they're both credited. And there's only one score, so yeah, there must be a co op option that I uh, neglected to notice. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Uh, they scored three million six hundred fifty thousand two hundred ninety nine. Oh, you know what? Maybe unless they both operated one player. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, here it is. Okay. I looked, I clicked on the, uh, the rules here. It says final score is total of both player scores combined. So I guess they played separately, um, as opponents, but their scores went together. Cause yeah, that's the thing. Even if you play a one player game, your opponent flotsam also has a score. Hmm. So yeah. But yeah, uh, do you have any further remarks about the game Tubin? Uh, yeah, nothing that our uh, our free listeners uh, wouldn't want to hear anyway. Oh, okay. All right, so we'll just talk to our imprisoned listeners then. Hey, how uh, you doing? Uh, so should we reveal the theme for this particular episode? Yes, and I just realized uh, after when we decided to do this that uh, we had a similar theme several episodes ago. Really? Yeah. Uh, one episode one fourteen where we talked about seven twenty and Congo Bongo. Uh, wait, did I? 
I have OO games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one is like games that make you go ooh because ooh. of Tubin and Puyan. I'm trying to remember what the theme for Congo Bongo and 720 was. Or I mean, not the theme, but why we did that. I don't know. We might have to listen back to that. <laughs> yeah, we might have to come back to that. Um, and before we talk about next episode's games, uh, there are some some things that we should mention. Uh, first of all, uh, God, it's tr- it was tragically a long time before we heard a peep out of this. Uh, rest in peace to um, Nuki Shea and Atari Age. Good oh, Lord. Oh, yes. Yes, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, and uh, by the way, Greg at the SNES podcast, I think it was Greg who said this, you know, I feel not only bad for Nuki Shea, but also, this is a good point. It was really tragic. He was crossing the street, I think, in downtown Minneapolis, and he got hit by a car. And uh, the guy was really young. I think he was only 20 years old. And that, that young mm-hmm. in age, he's got that on his conscience now that, you know, he got, I'm just, my thoughts go out to to uh, that the driver, too. And as I believe... All evidence was that the driver was not impaired or anything. It was just mm-hmm. really a really tragic accident. So, but yeah, it was it was a big tragedy for Atari Age users. So man, and uh, you know, our, of course, our, our love goes out to uh, Nuki Shea's family. And um, on the brighter side, uh, Midwest Gaming Classic is uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. I for sure will be there in Milwaukee. So. If anybody wants to uh, get together, say hey or whatever, look for a tall, fat, blonde guy. Uh, may or may not be in a tie-dye. Um, I was hoping we could have some kind of get-together, but Saturday night, I have other plans. So that's not going to happen on Saturday night if there is some kind of whatever. But I'm going to try to make it up there, but I'll pr- if I go, I'll probably only be up there for the Saturday. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. I know you gotta, you're, you've been hella busy lately. Yeah, my work schedule... I. I usually get home around one. Don't fall asleep until two. The other night, oh. I got home at two in the morning. Oh, jeez. Fell asleep at three. Last night, I got home at one and fell asleep at three. Oh. So, yeah, I, I think that last night was my own fault because I just real I remembered that I had a glass of iced tea before bed. Oh. Usually, usually that doesn't affect me, but for some reason it did that night. But yeah, but uh, Pie Factory will be there as regular attendance. No Pie Factory table this time yes. because regular well, attendees. We yep. will have been taking Metamucil. Yeah, for fast, yeah. effective relief. But anyway, um, also there are some people that I need to and want to thank. Oh. So, um, shout out to the following people who have been very generously supporting us on Patreon, including and patient. And very patient. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And yes, we, thank we got several much. messages from people saying, hey, we understand. It's okay. So thank mm-hmm. you. That's really nice of you. Um, so the aforementioned Daniel Chavis, thank you so much. Rory Charles Coleman, thank you. Art Guglielmo, the SNES podcast. I almost said Sneeze podcast. Mark Super, thank mm-hmm. you. Kyle Etter, whom we uh, met at Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, Richard Grounds, Lance Endries, thank you. Atari Bytes podcast, thank you. Christian Williams, Nate Lockhart. And yeah, and a little plug for Nate. If you have not been listening to Memory Machine, please start listening. And if you are listening, continue mm-hmm. listening. It's just, you know, I, I was mentioning to, to Jimmy G earlier that I listened to Nate's episode about the history of baseball. I don't like baseball. I'm bored by baseball, but oh my God, it was such a fascinating listen. Uh, thank you also to D. Alex, New Balance Stores Phoenix, Tim Foley, Richard Valdez, 
Timmy Mack, The Underground Retrocade, PJ Steele, Kurt Musgrave, Mike Hat and J, Air Shack, Keith Sheehan, and new Patreon sponsor, Retro Game Club Podcast. Link in the show notes. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. And uh, welcome to the world of the Patreon. Thank you all for supporting us. And those of you who don't, if you wish to, uh, listen to our booth announcer at the end of this episode or go to patreon.com. Or if you don't want to give us any money, still, thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, You were mentioning about um, Memory Machine. I haven't listened to the baseball one. He's come out with a new episode since then. Really? Simple tag game, making your own video games, 1970s style, part two. Oh. So I haven't heard part one of that one. Oh, I didn't see that in the feed August 23rd, yet. he had an episode, uh, The Memory Machine number 60, Josie and the Pussycats, an early 2000s youth culture. It was basically about the movie Josie and the Pussycats and him and his uh, wife, I think it was. Yeah, yeah and I think his, his sister-in-law too. And his sister-in-law were talking about the movie and breaking it down. It's a topic I had no interest in whatsoever and yet i was listening yeah. intently to every word they were saying yep, and now i, I kind of want to see i kind of want to see that movie now that makes one of us seriously listen to that episode <laughs> and you'll probably want to l- see it also because from what they're saying it's like a scathing indictment of the music industry <laughs> yeah yeah i remember so, that now yeah but uh anyway so we told you the theme we thanked our patreon sponsors and um Oh, yeah, we should talk about, uh, we should mention the games that we're going to discuss next episode. Yes, uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about Risk and Monopoly. Wait okay, a minute, no, Risk no, no that's, a different, that's a different podcast. Oh, oh no. shoot, yeah, this yeah, is Pie Factory. Video games, video games. Arcade video games. Yes, so we're going to be talking about Pepper 2. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, if you didn't say it, I was going to. And Cosmic Chasm, I'm sorry, Chasm. Chasm. The year we make contact. Yes, so... That is going to be next episode. We'll be really recording it sometime in November, and uh, we'll go we from hope. there. <laughs> yeah. The busy season is coming. We know we're not recording it the first weekend in November. No. <laughs> so, But anyway, uh, coming from uh, the city of Chicago, and by the way, when I say Chicago, I mean Chicago. I'm not like one of those people who's like, oh, I'm from Chicago too. Oh, really? What part? Arlington Heights? Yeah, shut up. I say, I always say the Chicago area. Yes, thank you. Or Chicagoland. Or that, yeah. But Chicago area sounds better to me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is uh, Sean from uh, Chicago. Or sometimes, if I'm really feeling really pedantic, I'm from the Chicago Metropolitan Statistical Area. Does that include Chicago? It does. Because I might want to claim that too. It includes all the way out to Grundy County. Grundy County was just added a few years ago. Make it sound like we're both under 70 miles away from each other when we <laughs> record. <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, from yep. from the far reaches of the Chicagoland statistic, metropolitan statistical area, this is Jimmy G. Zoran Zam. There we are. Support your local arcade. And we are out of here. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goebel. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Pie Factory Podcast is a member of the Fab Four IT Podcast Network.